0: Welcome to episode 306 with my guest April Adams. Uh, We're going to talk about androgyny, swinging, same-sex marriage, childhood trauma, energy healing, and hypnosis. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Uh, go there, check it out. You can browse... uh uh, the blogs, you can browse the forum, maybe post in the forum. You can fill out an anonymous survey. Maybe we'll uh, read your survey here on the, uh, the show. You can support the show, uh, which reminds me, uh, as I've mentioned the last week or two, uh, we are now accepting monthly donations on Patreon. So look for that, that link on, uh, on our website. And, um, when you do a monthly donation through Patreon, uh, you'll also get rewards, which um, PayPal doesn't allow you to do. So if you want to switch from PayPal to Patreon, um, probably benefit you uh, more if you care to get the some of the silly things uh, I've been giving donors. Um, it depends on the level that you're donating at, but um, some of the most recent ones that I just added is uh, I read Herbert's Shame and Secret Survey, and I read uh, Mean DJ Voices' uh, Shame and Secret Survey. Um, And then there's other stuff with Pop Tarts and Herbert's Butthole and all kinds of crazy shit. But um, yeah, so go check that out. And please, if you're going to shop at Amazon uh, this holiday season, use our link, and Amazon will give us a little bit of money. It doesn't make whatever you're buying any more expensive, and it really, really helps because. Um, we need all of those things to to keep the podcast uh, afloat. And sorry to sorry to harp on that all the time, but um, Daddy's got to eat. How do how do I put it in any other way other than that? Daddy not only needs a pair of shoes. Daddy needs uh, food on the table. Um, this episode that I recorded with April was about a year year and a half ago. And um, so, if there's a couple of things I mentioned in there going on in my life that kind of don't make sense, that's that's why. Um, all right, let's. How do I? I. Many of you who are regular listeners know that um, I cut contact with my mom about four years ago, and it wasn't because of the abuse um that i experienced as a kid it's because i have struggled to find overlapping realities for the two of us to forge a present day relationship i forgive her for the things that she did i don't think she's a bad person i don't hate her i'm not angry at her and i sent said all of that in the goodbye letter that i sent to her about 8 months ago maybe um I got a email from her priest that says, "Hi Paul, I'm visiting your mom. I asked about you. She is feeling very confused and sad about the de- deteriorated relationship. She is old, Paul, and remember the fourth commandment of the Decalogue. Uh, let's talk." and a bunch of exclamation points. Please let's talk peace and all good things. Um, I've, I've met uh, him before he is a nice guy a well-meaning man um, but I have said what I had to say and it I, I really disagree with people throwing the age thing that somebody is old why why should people be given a pass because they're old we We don't let old people rob banks uh, and certainly another person's emotional well being is every bit as important as somebody's financial well being at least to me it is um I also don't understand why we give more weight, you know, when we're trying to to bring two people together that that aren't getting along, why we give more weight to the needs of the person who is in closer physical proximity to us than the other person. Um, I understand because often we know that person better, but if I would I would not have responded to this no matter what he had said, but. You know if he had said hey what do you need on your end for a better relationship with your mom but there's no asking it's just piling on the the guilt and I don't want to take a shot at organized religion but this is classic organized religion blunt weapon pull out all the chestnuts and and use them Um. I would really love to see Christianity or any organized religion incorporate boundaries into their commandments. You know, it would be nice to have the 11th commandment be, Thou shalt express needs and feelings without hostility, dishonesty, manipulation, or apology. 12th commandment, I would like to see Thou shalt respect other people's boundaries. And I'd like to have a 13th commandment. Thou shalt set boundaries and enforce with consequences regardless of age, relation, or stature. We, We talk about how our society, people have lost their sense of responsibility. And we talk about how lessons begin in the home. Well, if you really want people to learn how to take responsibility for their actions, teach them about boundaries and consequences. You know, I think one of the most toxic, blunt weapons that family members use with each other is guilt. Because we don't talk about boundaries. We don't understand boundaries. We're made to feel guilty if we have needs. But if we started learning how to express our needs in a way that was diplomatic, stating what our boundaries are and, and telling the person, if this boundary is violated by you, here is what is going to happen. I'm gonna get up and leave dinner, or we're not gonna talk for X number of days, or um, our relationship is over and then you enforce that when they cross it, that person learns very quickly what their responsibility is. And I think you would see families interacting a lot more healthily if they knew how to express their needs and feelings. They understood boundaries and people got consequences. because really, it, in my opinion, guilt is like, it's the weapon of choice of emotionally sick people. And I, myself, am as guilty as, oh, look at that, use the word again, as anybody else of of using it. Um, so just, I don't know. I got a lot of uh, emails from people this week uh, ragging on me about still using paper. And uh, the reason that I still print stuff out on paper is because I make tons of notes on it, and right before I start recording, I rearrange the surveys in an order that, that I want them in, I do last minute editing, um, trimming stuff down so that the episodes aren't four hours long, and trying to do that digitally would take forever, and I recycle, and go fuck yourself. I, I I do appreciate you, you letting me know that it uh some of you it it does bother your your ears, but uh hey. I do what I can do. Uh oh I don't know if you heard that siren, but uh that means that uh Herbert's butthole is in high alert. It's uh it's orange, which means he's getting low on Turkey. Seriously, you you have to hear Herbert's <laughs> shame and secret survey. I, I don't normally laugh at myself, but uh, it's pretty fucking funny. It's pretty fucking funny. All right. Let's give some love to our sponsor. Uh, Talkspace is an online therapy. And I don't know about you guys, but there is really no better time to start therapy than... Between Thanksgiving and Christmas slash Hanukkah, the sun's setting at 5 o'clock. It's gray out. It's 46 degrees and it's raining. The trees are bare. Simon and Garfunkel comes on the radio and you're just thinking to yourself, let's just pull into the garage and keep the car running. All right, maybe maybe it doesn't go as, as dark as that, but um, I have used... Online therapy, and I am definitely a a convert. Um, it is the the face to face experience um, with uh, video cameras in my experience is every bit as validating as being in the same room uh, with with that person. Um, I like that you can also text um, during the week, so sometimes uh my therapist will give me assignments to do. Um, I just think it's a, it's just a, it's a new revolution in, in therapy and, uh, talk Talkspace is, uh, they're an online therapy company and they make it super easy to, uh, connect with a licensed therapist. Uh, it's handpicked, uh, handpicked, uh, just for you as little as $32 a week and uh you can text, use audio or video messages um, as much as you want. Uh your therapist can listen to you vent about whatever you want. You can vent about me. Actually, I'd be I'd be flattered. I don't mind if you're talking shit about me as long as you're talking about me. But um I just I think it's a great new revolution and I'm super excited about it. So uh to sign up or learn more about it, go to talkspace.com slash M-I-H-H, which is Mental Illness Happy Hour, um, and is a special offer for you guys. You can use the coupon code M-I-H-H uh, to get $30 off your first month, and you're showing your support for the podcast. That helps keep it going. So uh, that's Talkspace.com slash M-I-H-H, and the code is M-I-H-H. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. All right, let's, uh, let's read a couple of surveys and then get to the, the interview with April. Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence. Actually, all of these are struggle in a sentence surveys. Uh, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself, keep telling yourself that moron uh, about his OCD. The stove is off, but I have to take a picture of it being off and reference it at work. Uh, snapshot from his life top executive stops me in the hallway and asks what's going on, and I blame my panic attack due to social anxiety on an energy drink. She tells me to not drink them because my eyes show something going on neurologically. Good thing I didn't have to hand her something because my hands were trembling. Oh my god, that that has to be. And And then you get upset and nervous about it, which makes it worse. Semi-Human Sludge shares about his depression. Uh, Everyone hates me, but it's okay, because so do I. About his anxiety. Every moment must be my last, until it isn't. Then the next one is. Brilliant. Uh, Darth Jader uh, shares about his PTSD. Luckily, my only triggers for feeling like shit in an instant... Our parents, guns, and drugs. Thank God, America has so few of these. And then he has a, he, uh, and he comments to make the podcast better. Uh, post a YouTube video of how to play the theme song on guitar. Um, I wish I knew how to play it, and I I wrote it and and play it, and I don't. I've picked up the guitar and tried. I wish to God I had written down what it was. I know that the rhythm guitar is uh in standard tuning and there's not a capo and i know that the lead part um is in somewhere in the middle of the neck and i believe there's a capo on it so have at it if that's enough for you to uh and a lot of it is played uh on the strings the middle strings the uh like the three four five strings which would be what g d and a this is filled out by Sorry I'm Saying Sorry and about her anxiety. She writes, it's running into a friend at the coffee shop or being trapped in a burning, burning building. To me, I see no difference. Snapshot from her life. I'm a teacher and I often suffer from panic attacks while delivering my lessons. When I confessed my struggle to a coworker recently, she said she was amazed that she couldn't tell. That doesn't surprise me because I've had 25 years of practice keeping it all in. Thank you for that. Uh, and this is from addict's wife. And snapshot from her life, uh, her issues are uh, depression, anxiety, and OCD, and uh, nail-biting. And a snapshot from her life, she writes, My husband is an addict slash alcoholic in recovery and is doing well. All the while, my anxiety over whether he's using or drinking is sometimes overwhelming, even when he is doing nothing wrong. It's gotten a little better, but it's always in the back of my mind. And the reason I wanted to read this is because it's really important that you also go get help because the loved one of the addict or alcoholic is usually every bit as sick as or in the need in need of some type of um help as as the person who is the addict or the alcoholic because you would say well how do you know that you you, you don't know me um i know enough about you I know that you chose that person, that you saw that they were, uh, emotionally unavailable, that they were, you know, had these issues that they were, were working on. And it's not just me. It's, it's, you talk to people in the mental health community, and I think they pretty much all agree, um, about that. I'm totally second guessing myself right now, like I'm being, uh, not about what I said, but that I'm coming across, uh, across as bossy and, <laughs> I fucking hate being in my head some days. Anyway, um, my point being that a support group for codependency would be super important for, for you because it's not what your husband is doing or not doing. That's just evolving. Um, that, that that part is changing, but your anxiety remains the same. And don't fool yourself into thinking it's dependent on what your husband is doing or not doing. No, it's going to be there. Um it's just going to shapeshift into how it presents itself. So go to a support group and get some help for what's not only the anxiety, but what's underneath the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the resentment, the historical issues. And, uh, her the way she i love this the way she describes her depression it's so fucking good this this has got to go down hall of fame when i look at my kids i feel so much love but all i can do is stare at them and wish they would shut the fuck up i fear that i'm inadequate Fear that i'm inadequate
1: so recently i've been punching myself a lot sometimes i
0: feel like my full-time job mental illness you're a life coach. You are uh, Reiki. Is that how you pronounce it?
1: Re- uh, Reiki. Reiki. Yes.
0: A Re- Reiki uh, master, mm-hmm. uh, which means that you can beat up people who do f- kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not completely. I can heal
1: people that do kung fu.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's a, a type of healing that uh, it's called energy healing. Yes. Is that yes? Um, before we get into your story, let's let, let's talk about that a little bit because you know when i when i hear the phrase energy healing even though my higher power is energy <laughs> sure. and i believe in energy um for some reason i i my antenna kind of go up and i just picture people holding crystals in sedona <laughs> talking about mother earth and i just want to slap them sure yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I dissuade me from yeah. my my prejudice if you if you would i'm just going to adjust okay. your mic a tiny bit
1: yeah absolutely so when einstein was talking about everything being energy.
0: Who is Einstein?
1: <laughs> good old Albert Einstein, the genius of all time. Um, just he really had an amazing grasp. Like I, I love that we're recognizing now Einstein and Tesla and all of these really intelligent people.
0: Tesla was was incredible. <laughs> While I'm thinking, I, I yes. always fucking forget and and do this. Would you turn your phone to airplane mode? Uh if yeah, you if you I, if, you're, if you have I your phone turn it off or
1: the ringer off but I can certainly yeah, go to it, airplane mode yeah, as well. Yeah, cuz we
0: still get uh what you might call like it? feedback. Yeah.
1: Not a problem. I can do that.
0: I always forget and then uh we get buzzing on here.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: So Einstein and Tesla.
1: Yes. And basically with everything being energy, we can use energy to heal our bodies because the body is made up of energy. Our thoughts are made up of energy. Our intention is energy,
0: and everything is, has its own vibrational frequency.
1: Absolutely, you're speaking my language. <laughs> when I talk about intuition with people, um, a lot of people think that that intuitive abilities are this crazy woo-woo, you know, ridiculous thing, but it's also scientific to look at intuition because essentially every unique thing a toothache a heart attack all of that has its own unique frequency, its own unique vibration. And basically, we're just picking up on that. And then it depends on how our brain translates it for us.
0: I see. That makes sense. So that yeah. would be why sometimes <laughs> you're repelled or attracted to yeah. a person, not necessarily romantically or sexually, but right. you're just like, I want to be friends with this person. Or, yeah. boy, I can't wait to get that person to leave this room.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I started doing Reiki, I recognized that when I was really tuning in to people that I was working on, that I was picking up on what was going on in them. So I might walk into the room with my own set of symptoms and, you know, my own aches and pains and whatever I was worried about. And then when I would start working on them, that would go away, and I'd have a completely different set of issues show up. Oh, that's interesting. While I was working on them. (laughs) And it's great because it was sort of my brain's way of showing me, this is what's going on with this person, and here's what we need to work on. So that's really what I would focus on while I was working on them. But it also brought up this great life realization for me that I had always been doing that. That when I was around my dad, who had PTSD and stuff, uh, I was uncomfortable around him. My sister, who's bipolar, (laughs) very uncomfortable around her, you know, I would feel tension around them. My mom and brother are pretty fun and laid back people. And I always felt pretty good and at ease around them. And it just brought me so many realizations to recognize that I had just been picking up on their vibrations and sort of interpreting it as my own and wondering, why don't I want to hang around with my dad? Why don't I? (laughs) And it's really amazing to look at that and recognize why those kind of patterns have been playing out. But With the, uh, you asked about Reiki. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to give you a little bit of information on how it works. Mm -hmm. So essentially, when we're born, our energy is moving through our bodies properly. And so we heal very quickly and easily as a result of that. But as we go through life and experience traumatic events and start suppressing our emotions, because we all get taught to suppress our emotions.
0: If you were raised (laughs) by
1: If you were raised right in this culture, sure. So basically, that creates blockage in the flow of energy. And when a blockage occurs, the energy can't flow as well in that area anymore. And then the body can't heal itself in that area as quickly as it used to. So energy healing is just about using energy and intention to work on those blockages to release them. So your body just goes back to naturally healing itself the way it's intended to. So the energy really isn't doing the healing. The body's doing it.
0: That, I'm much more of a believer than I used to be because I had a very profound session of somatic therapy mm-hmm. uh, last week where she put a paddle in each hand and they, they would vibrate alternately, one then the other. And she just talked me into Relaxing. On this couch, yep. and I felt muscles letting go. I felt uh, um, my back, which was killing me when I came in, felt much much better when I got. I could walk more easily when I left, and probably for four days, I slept fourteen hours a day. Wow! And was so. Um, I guess you could call it relaxed uh, because I I just felt uh, like I just wanted to. To just lay down and sleep, I just felt like a noodle.
1: Right, you needed to do that—that that healing and and sort of recuperating a little bit.
0: But yeah. it, it it really shocked me because when she had me put the paddles in my hand, I was like, "How do I gently? What is this? How do I gently <laughs> let her go? How do I?" <laughs> How do I back out? You know, I'm going to finish this session, but how do I phrase and I need to move on? Because this feels like a bunch of New Age shit to me. Right. But I'm a I'm a believer and I'm now uh, six days later, um, five days later, just starting to get my energy going um, a, a little more, mm-hmm. um, feeling a little more ener- energetic. But I'm really looking forward to my next session with her because I'm a believer that I'm a believer that trauma gets trapped in the body. Yeah, it um, definitely I guess I'm does. just a skeptic about the ways that it gets drawn out sure. and, and it gets released. So, what do you do when you do Reiki?
1: Well, what a session might look like is um, placing your hands on or near the, re- the recipient. Um, so, some people do completely non touch, and some people are touching you the whole time. Uh, Most of the time, there's not any kind of physical manipulation happening. It's more of just like a gentle resting of the hands on the person. Um,
0: Also known as lazy massage.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) What's great is, though, that people come out of the sessions feeling at least as relaxed as they were, you know, after a massage or even more so. And I find a lot of people coming out afterwards going... I wasn't in this room. I wasn't sleeping, but I certainly was not here Mm -hmm. (laughs) just now. So I don't know where you took me, but that was really cool. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I I got into such a deep state of relaxation that I I was starting to um, uh, drift off. I don't know if it meant I was going to go to sleep or I was just in that deep uh, kind of meditative state. But I I don't know if I've ever felt as uh, relaxed as I as I did. mm-hmm But go ahead. I cut yeah. you off.
1: No, that's fine. Uh, well, what you're talking about is the theta brainwave state. And that is just such an amazing state because it's a huge range. It goes all the way from daydreaming down to fully asleep and dreaming. And, you know, everything in between there, you've got meditation, like really nice, deep meditation, <laughs> the hypnosis state, that half asleep state when you're first drifting off to sleep or just waking up. Uh, so, that's a big range that your brain can be in. And that's your most programmable and also most healing state.
0: Oh, that makes sense. And that's
1: a great place to be. That's exactly where you want to be when you're having a healing session.
0: Yeah, because she, she was also throwing in some everything is okay, right? And, and it was maybe that was also helping me re- relax. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, "Sense the pillow on the back of your neck," and I, you know, half of me was going, "Oh God!" <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> and the other half was like, "Hey, this feels really good." <laughs> so sometimes it's hands on, sometimes it's hands just nearby. And right. what do you do? You say certain things to them. Is there kind of a? Uh, uh, A verbal coaching, or is it just silent?
1: Well, that varies from practitioner to practitioner. Some people will just automatically begin a session and it's pretty much silent the whole way through. Uh, Then you may find clients that will just begin talking. Uh, I find that sometimes when you just go in silent, the client may begin sort of telling you what they're thinking about. And that's a good signal of what's getting healed and released, so that's pretty fantastic. But... I feel like it's a little bit more uh, more of a deep healing when the person can just surrender and sort of leave their head and let things just unfold as they will. But with me, what I tend to do is begin with a guided meditation to sort of get people in a really nice, deep, relaxed state and have them, are they sitting
0: up? Or are they laying down?
1: Uh, laying down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, typically, it would be, you know, they'd be laying down on a massage table, um, getting everything all ergonomically organized mm-hmm. so that they're completely comfortable to lay there for probably around 40 minutes or so. And I then walk them into the deepest state of relaxation that they can. And I will actually go into Theta while I'm doing this to kind of bring them there. Because for whatever reason, brainwaves work together and meditation is contagious. So if the practitioner will go into theta, it's much easier for mm. the receiver to be able to kind of drift there <laughs> more easily. Makes sense. Yeah. So I find that I can kind of guide the sessions that way and get things much more relaxed and, and laid back.
0: I would imagine they pick yeah. up on the vibrational frequency of your the tone of your voice sure. when you're Definitely. Talking to them in that in that state. Right. And is it weird when you say to them you're worthless and weak in a very calm voice? <laughs> is that, is that con- they disconcerting? They
1: love when I do
0: that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's familiar. <laughs> it's soothing. It's like yep. a stinky blanket. <laughs> I am worthless and weak. I'm finally, I'm home. I didn't have to get on a plane.
1: Just like my mom used to tell me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been reading a bunch of surveys lately, and oh my god, it's like every every single shame and secret survey the the parent is either denied the child's emotional reality or just foisted all of their negative self talk onto their kids mm-hmm. It's unbelievable, even the ones that didn't experience. Getting beaten or being sexually abused—it's. Uh, I, I would say it's a good, and maybe those are just the people that go to fill out the surveys because they need a cathartic experience, um, or want, just want to participate in the show. But it's a good eighty-five to ninety percent of uh, of the surveys that are taken, mm-hmm. as they are just beat down, just yeah. beat down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love listening to you read those surveys. It's just so well, amazing you. to see. The vast array of experiences that are out there, but the commonality, too. Just so incredible how messed up <laughs> I kind we of, can get. In.
0: <laughs> I kind of feel like there's about six different surveys that are expressed f- five million different ways, mm-hmm. but it really all kind of boils down to a half dozen different setups. Yeah. And how, how that person's brain reacts. And it seems to be based on really random shit. Well, it was like, what were they, you know, what room were they in? You know, what was the person <laughs> wearing that was harming them? What music was on? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's, it's so, it's endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, but really makes me wish that we had some type of emotional education for kids right out of the gate to, to, to not allow anybody to tell them that their feelings are invalid. Yeah. Uh, I think so much, so much uh, could be helped mentally, emotionally, um, and economically in this country. Yeah. You would definitely. spend so much, muscle, much less money on child services and, um, well, I hate to say this for our therapist friends out there. But <laughs> right. <laughs> probably, although I believe everybody could, could use a therapy.
1: Yeah, we but, can all use a little help and, and guidance every now and then. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Uh, was there any more about uh, Reiki that you I wanted think to-
1: that pretty well covers the basics of
0: it anyway. Uh, and is there an um, average length of sessions that uh, a person will do? Or is it like chiropractic where you kind of come back in for tune-ups?
1: So most regular sessions of Reiki would be about an hour long. And as I began to do Reiki, I found that if I would just do a session on them and help release some of their blockages, they would just go home and kind of live the same life that they had that led to the blockages. And so they would just kind of have to keep coming back for the Reiki over and over again. And it wasn't making a long-term difference. So they felt great afterward, but (laughs) it wasn't lasting. And
0: so, you're the plumber that came in and plunged and then <laughs> yeah. told them how to change their diet,
1: right? So, I began to also share with them what I was learning for my own healing purposes, and it was really interesting because it seemed like people would come in, like just as I was learning something for me to
0: from them or just in general,
1: no, just for my own mental health. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was doing a whole lot of reading and practicing on myself to get myself out of the pit that I was in. And this that's all what led me into doing Reiki in the first place was my own emotional struggle. And so I, at the same time that I was learning Reiki and beginning to offer it, I was also reading every self-help book, every metaphysical book, every spiritual book, everything I could get my hands on that felt like it it applied to what I was going through. And my clients would come in, and they would need the same exact information that I needed. So I'd be maybe a week ahead of them.
0: (laughs) Isn't that funny?
1: But I was showing them what was working for me, and it was working for them, too. And it's just been so incredible to be able to help people by helping myself. And having that connection with other people who are going through something very similar is... The most beautiful, rewarding thing I could possibly do. <laughs> it's,
0: it's incredible. That's why I'm such a champion of of support groups. Mm-hmm. And for me, this podcast, in many ways, is kind of a support group. Yeah. Um, because it's peer to peer. It's it's um give and take. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I I probably sound like a broken record, but the sense of meaning and purpose from sharing. The struggles that I've been through,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how I've either endured them or or come out the other side bring such a a fulfillment to my life that I yeah. never ever expected, and it makes me shudder to think what my life would look like if I had never. Faced it if Mm -hmm. I'd never faced the demons, and I was still drinking and using and Mm -hmm. um, just kind of being blind.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Do you ever stop and I'm sure you do stop and think about who who did you used to be in your darkest? (laughs) In the give me give me some snapshots from your life um, from all all ages. Okay.
1: Um, Well, I'll say that what led me to all of this. Um, And I also have to say that every single struggle that I've been through, I really feel like was what led me to where I am and led me to my purpose. And I I feel like that's similar with you. I feel like right now doing this, you're living your purpose. I I feel that. You're helping people to really see that they're not that abnormal, that (laughs) they're not alone.
0: That I'm as fucked up as they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, all, can say are, <laughs> or, we yeah. all are
1: or have been and to be able to go through that and to use it for good is amazing and i feel like anybody who's struggling the whole purpose behind that struggle is so that they can find their way out of it and then help other people find their way out
0: of I it completely too completely agree
1: yeah so my biggest struggle has always been love addiction all my life i mean i was five years old and i I was flirting like crazy. I was looking for that one. I always had like a mad crush on somebody. And I couldn't understand like why five-year-old boys weren't flirting back with me, weren't interested. (laughs) I got caught so many times uh, playing I'll show you mine if you show me yours. (laughs) I was just really curious about all of that. Curious about Bodies. I and was too,
0: and I always felt like such a weirdo. <laughs> I felt like such a weirdo.
1: <laughs> well, I felt like it was perfectly normal until I got caught just about every time I tried. <laughs> Where were like, you doing nice- it at a bus stop? <laughs> the backyard, you know, but mm-hmm. my mom was kind of a helicopter parent and would be peeking out to make sure that everything was on the up and up or we were safe or whatever. And then um, I'd get pulled into the house. Nice young ladies don't do that. <laughs> But it's it's always been a big thing for me to have the perfect romantic life. And that's always been my primary focus Uh, for the longest time. I didn't care about school, family, job, friends, (laughs) hobbies, nothing. It was all about the love and the sex. And, and that was it.
0: And was it usually focused on one or two people or was it you just wanted it anywhere it could come from? You would accept anybody who would love you?
1: It would usually be in the form of wanting a big romantic relationship. Like, you know, I've, I've at least through puberty and, and adult life uh, was a serial monogamist. So it's always been about having that one that connection with one other person but also about being able to control it and make it be the way that i wanted it to be
0: (laughs) would you become jealous of them spending time with other people
1: um yeah probably especially if you know they didn't want to include me in that
0: or you felt like you weren't Mm -hmm. getting enough of their time
1: right definitely yeah especially in high school and college age that was a big issue the uh the guys I was dating would kind of feel a little smothered by the fact that I wanted all their time and attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your email to me, you, you, you're married, you have a wife. Yes. Uh, when did you come out or realize that you were gay or bisexual?
1: So when I was 19, the Madonna sex book came out. And I loved Madonna from probably 1983 until about 98. <laughs> I just, I I loved her so much, I wanted to be Madonna during that time phase. And then, at like, 98, I don't know, she got kind of boring, and I <laughs> went off on another tangent. But
0: Was that around the time the, she started her fake English accent? It might have I been. I
1: think so. It's when she had her daughter, and she just... Like went a whole, She yeah. actually went kind of metaphysical, I think, at that time. She did her Om Shanti album and, and all of that. And at that time, I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> That's not sexy. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I got the Madonna sex book. I had to just rush right out and get that. And it's jam-packed with androgyny. And I thought that was the hottest freaking thing I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> There were women with women and men with men and men with women and women dressed as men and men looking like with makeup on like women. And that was the first time I was ever really exposed to anything like that. And I just thought it was beautiful and sexy and incredible. So at that point, I was like, oh, well, I guess I could kind of go either way. But I was with a guy. (laughs) I actually, um, I married my high school sweetheart. So there really wasn't a huge opportunity for me to explore the whole woman thing. Um, so there was no necessarily coming out. Um, certainly there was some fantasy play and stuff. When I was with my ex-husband, um, we would certainly have, you know, fantasies about me being with a woman and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Um But it just, you know, kind of didn't occur early on anyway. (laughs) But I'm sure you can tell there's an interesting story coming up as to how how I ended up with a woman, if uh, that was the case. So when you marry your high school sweetheart, things can get a little boring after a while. And we were always pretty... Sexually playful, <laughs> so and pretty adventurous. So we actually, a couple of times early on, we tried swinging for a brief period of time. Kind of disastrous.
0: What was disastrous and, about it?
1: Um, well,
0: because I can picture about a thousand things that would mm-hmm, be disastrous about yeah. swinging. But
1: yeah, um, first of all, we were pretty young at the time. We were probably twenty three or twenty four, and. Most people in that community are much older. You you were
0: chum in the water.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so it was very difficult for us to find anyone that we had anything in common with that was younger. And so we had, it was kind of slim pickings. And also, I didn't feel like it was okay to say no. So we would meet up with like other couples or other people. And even if I wasn't attracted to them, I kind of felt like, "Oh well, I don't want to be rude and reject them, <laughs> so we'd follow through and do stuff anyway, and
0: they have um, been really awkward at the at least awkward, yes, if not traumatizing,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know they had issues of their own, obviously, you know, when you're when you're swinging at that age, there's probably something going on, you know, some kind of addiction or an unhappy marriage or something of that nature going on. So...
0: I'm going to get some angry emails. That's okay.
1: She was not happy with her husband at all. And so she kind of started going after mine and writing in poetry and... and. um being really angry if the attention wasn't all focused on her during the sessions and stuff. Mm. Um, And then there was an STD that cropped up, and we don't know know, who the initial carrier was, and everybody was pointing fingers, and (laughs) there was a whole lot of blame and discomfort, and so we just kind of were like, "Uh, I guess we're not going to do this for a while. And then... Quite a a bit of time goes by. I'd say a good 10 years goes by. And he and I have a child together. And we move from Michigan to California and then from California to New Hampshire. And we, oh, so I started selling sex toys. Uh, This was right at the tail end of when that kind of became this big phenomenon that everybody was having toy parties. So I was like, oh, well, that sounds like fun. I could be a party host for that. That's cool. I'm comfortable talking about that with people. Be a nice way to make some extra money. Unfortunately, in New Hampshire, that's not really, they're pretty conservative there and a little bit more shy and reserved. So <laughs> it didn't go over all that well. And the the only people who were really super open to it, uh, more than the occasional bachelor party, were swingers. So we went to a swingers party for me to sell toys, and we ended up taking part.
0: That was your first experience swinging.
1: Um, that was the that was actually more recently. So this was ten years after the initial experience. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the first experience that was be called, actually would that
0: be called coming out of retirement?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of what it felt like. Um, the first one uh, when we originally tried it. It was, you know, when the internet was still fresh and new and we kind of like just joined some chat rooms or something and, and talked to other people in the area and met up at a restaurant and kind of talked to them. But the the more recent time, this was around, let's see, what year was it? Let's say 2004 or five, somewhere around there. And... I got really wrapped up in creating the page, like, you know, you go on these, uh, I, I don't know, net or something, you know, these websites that have, like, a place where you can fill out your profile and put up the pictures and, like, put your bios up there and just, like, whatever you want to, however you want to represent yourself. And I was a stay-at-home mom. And by then I was working at a spa sort of a couple days a week, but... I had a whole lot of time on my hands and I just got so like wrapped up in checking the chat pages and <laughs> seeing how many views we had gotten and it was really doing something for my ego and kind of giving me that that boost that was sort it, of newness and that excitement that So
0: it was on a certain level it was arousing as well or, or was it just um
1: It wasn't physically arousing it was more just um, it was the ego boost, you know, like, oh, people like me, people think I'm sexy. <laughs> um, and just the excitement, the, the excitement of the chase, the feeling of newness and danger. Oh, so it
0: was kind of feeding your love addiction right. too. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, but when it came down to actually taking part in it, it wasn't really doing anything for me. It was kind of interesting, kind of fun, but it was wasn't really feeding me in a deep way and i find that in that community especially where i was located i don't know what it's like out here but the women who take part in it will usually only be with other women to sort of turn their husbands on Mm -hmm. to fuel that male fantasy of girl-on-girl stuff and i wanted to actually experience what it would be like to be with a woman who wants to be with a woman i see And I felt like in order to do that, it needed to be sort of a private thing where it wasn't a show for a man. And my husband was kind of comfortable with that. So (laughs) I said, well, um, well, we, we would kind of fantasize about it here and there while we were alone together. And then sometimes if we went to a party or something, I might, you know, dabble in it a little bit. But I got invited to go out dancing by a gay male friend of mine. And it was to a gay club. And I met my wife that night. And we danced together pretty much the whole night. And we had a blast. It was just so fantastic and so much fun. And at the end of the night, all we did was exchange names. We didn't exchange phone numbers, no, like, (laughs) nothing. And I thought about her, like, all week. And I, you know, it kind of...
0: You know what? I think we got got visitors now. Why don't we close the door?
1: So it really spurred me to ask him, you know, what do you think about me being with a woman on my own? And and he said, well, yeah, it's fine as long as you don't run off with her. (laughs) So, uh, whoops. So... (laughs) Um so a week later I was actually at that nightclub with my husband and a swinger couple that we were hanging out with, and she was there. So I saw her, I went running over to her and uh gave her a hug and my business card uh with the, the sex toys on the business card. <laughs> so she now, you know, well This is like a this <laughs> is
0: like a bad sitcom on Showtime. <laughs> It is. <laughs> Called whose hole is this?
1: Oh my gosh. So we were um we were all dancing and I danced with her sometimes, I danced with the couple we were with sometimes and um about a week later she sent me an email saying, "Hey, um this friend and I have our birthdays coming up. Do you want to do a party for us?" And and the date didn't work out. Uh, so I didn't end up doing a party for them, but I said, you know, that's not the only reason I gave you my card. And I kind of told her my situation. I said, I'm married, but I've got permission to kind of do what I want to do. And, and, uh, and so I just really, I like you and, and, you know, want to kind of see where that goes. And she was very, very noble. She was very much like, not sure about the situation. She didn't want to interrupt anybody's marriage. She really wanted to get to know me. She had no interest in just playing just to play. She wanted, you know, to get to know somebody and and really um, feel connected Mm -hmm. before doing that. So um, I still was only working a couple days a week and had plenty of time to... Um, flirt through texting and <laughs> IMing, and we kind of had a lot of contact. And my husband was pretty absent, you know? I mean, he was working all the time, and there was none of that with him. There, It was basically he went off to work for the day, he'd get home that evening, and there was not really contact in between. So there was certainly a disconnect that yeah. was occurring with us. I was going
0: to say, were you starting to feel like you had... Like you were cheating?
1: Yeah. Um, even though I had full permission and everything, I did kind of feel like I was cheating. And so I kept checking in with him. You know, is are you okay with this? Is this all right? And I was kind of like, let me know if you want this to end before, you know, it gets too far or whatever, you know, and just <laughs> checking in all the time. Um, and when the time came that she and I actually started getting together sexually, I knew I was in trouble. Like right after the first time, I was like, this is going to hurt when it ends, but it's going to be so worth it. (laughs) And we connected. We had this tantric connection. We just saw into each other. It was like, we got into bed, looked into each other's eyes, and we could see each other young and old and different dimensions. It was the most crazy, intense experience.
0: What, what do you, is that what you mean when you say uh, tantric connection, meaning yeah. that it was beyond sexual and it, it it was kind of spiritual?
1: Yeah. It was more soul connection than body connection. It was like the body stuff was secondary. I see. Yeah. Which was beautiful and mind blowing and scary as hell,
0: I bet yeah <laughs> it's like you because, were on you were on vacation you yeah. had to you had to go back home,
1: yeah, and I had never had that level of connection with anybody. I mean, there was a guy that I dated briefly in college that I had an amazing sexual chemistry with, and we had a very intense relationship, and I kind of had this thing in my head that that equaled pain, yeah. <laughs> Because that relationship didn't work out, and I had really wanted it to. But he was the one I was smothering a lot. I got you. Um, And ended up with my safe high school sweetheart again because of the safeness of it. Mm -hmm. He was a level of comfort for me, um, but not that intense passion. So here I was back in that intense passion again. Plus, taking it up a notch to having it be that spiritual connection above everything else. And just my breath being taken away. And we would be together for eight hours. And it would feel like an hour tops. (laughs) Really amazing. Totally feeding my love addiction. (laughs) Starting a sex addiction. uh, Really... Beautiful, incredible, and frightening. So (laughs) that's how I met my wife. And then things really started to get messier and messier with my husband.
0: How could they not?
1: Yeah. So certainly she and I were texting here and there, and he would kind of notice that. And he kind of started being a little passive-aggressive with me. He was turning into a jerk. And so after about six months, I was in a place of feeling like if he's going to make me choose or if he's going to make it miserable for me to be in this place, who do I want to be with? This person that I connect with on this deep spiritual level and have amazing sex with and is always contacting me and texting me and giving me compliments and, and wants this deep connection with me and wants to look in my eyes and connect or this person who I have been comfortable and okay with uh, and yeah, we've been through a lot together and all of that but I don't have this connection with so who am I going to choose? <laughs> and so... We met in April and right around January, I said, I, I think I'm going to need a separation or a divorce or something. And he freaked, he freaked out so much. And it was basically, no, you're not allowed. Wow. <laughs> and that was quite a journey. Of course, I had also that feeling of that responsibility of having committed to somebody, you know, we were married. And so I had that societal guilt that. Um, that Christian-based culture guilt of, you know, I said I was going to be with this person forever, and I promised this, and I promised that, and we have a kid together, and so and, don't I... And,
0: and he had said, as long as you don't become emotionally right. yes. attached to her. Yeah,
1: would... as long as you don't run off with her. Yeah. So now I'm thinking about running off with her, and I promised, her I, I promised him I wouldn't do that, too. So there was all of that happening at once, and it was... Whew. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was not a good year. So pretty much from January to November, and I was how many, year, how many years ago was this? That was 2005 or six. Okay. Um, so it took me 11 months to stop the roller coaster. I mean, basically it was an entire year of back and forth, feeling guilty, uh, wanting to be with her, but trying to make it work with him and trying to figure out how we could make it work that I would be with both. Um,
0: it had, and, made it had to make you crazy. Had to make everybody crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it didn't help that. She was just very supportive and completely like, whatever you need to do, you know, I'm here. And even even if I wanted to stay with him and raise our son and decide in (laughs) 15 years or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, what I wanted to do, she was like, I don't have any interest in ever dating anybody else, so I'll sit here and wait. She's like, I've been single for a long time, and I'm fine to be single again. Wow. And (laughs) so there was this feeling of, I'll wait forever for you if you if that's what you need. And there was just this no pressure whatsoever from her. And total pressure from him. And total pressure from me. I was putting a ton of pressure on myself to make a decision um, where he wasn't necessarily asking for a decision. She wasn't asking for any decision at all, but I was seeing that the situation was still miserable. So I felt the need to make a decision and then was fighting between my heart and my responsibilities and my guilt.
0: Yeah, and you had a kid. How old was your kid?
1: He was seven. Yeah, he was about seven. So that was an interesting age for all of that, too. Thankfully, it wasn't younger.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So finally there came a point where I was just so miserable. I mean, that year was terrible. I couldn't focus on anything. I was really anxiety-ridden, depressed, started getting restless leg syndrome. I was, oh, (laughs) bad. And I finally just said, that's it, I'm, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. And I said, I'm not feeling for you what I'm supposed to be feeling, and there's not really any hope that I ever will. And I don't feel like we can continue with that. And as soon as I made it clear that that was over and we were done, it took about a week for him to just be okay, and amazing. He just really became the most supportive ex husband that you can possibly imagine. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> it's really amazing. You, and, is, you know, and
0: to this day, is he still that way?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's been so beautiful. And he and my wife are actually fairly close. And my son loves my wife. Like, that's his favorite parent so it really came to a happy ending it just was a very difficult situation Mm. now (laughs) what's really interesting is we you know i was looking forward to this fantastic relief to just be able to be together and me not having to worry about you know am i hurting somebody is something going to happen and and having this decision hanging over me all the time. So I was ready to get back to the passion and the happiness and the joy and, and, um, the peace of it all. And the day that she and I went to go pick out our rings, and this is probably a month after I've kind of been like, that's it. I'm done where, you know, (laughs) I'm going to go over here and do this now. So she and I went to pick out our rings and that night, she rejected me for sex. Wow. So, <laughs> it was like...
0: Welcome to reality, huh? This
1: garage door slamming down. This big steel door. Bam! And also around that time, the compliments slowed way down. She would make comments about how often I wanted to have sex. Um, she... Got a different job and was not able to text me as often. So everything that had made me fall for her and choose her disappeared. And I was completely knocked for a loop. I didn't know what to do with myself.
0: Did you suddenly feel like I've made a terrible mistake or did you just hope things would change?
1: Alternately, both.
0: You go back and forth.
1: (laughs) Yes. I I never was like, oh, geez, I wish I hadn't left my husband. I didn't feel that for him anymore, and so that was not an option. That wasn't something like, oh, gee, I wish I hadn't ended my marriage, because obviously I was ready to do that. And um, regardless, it was kind of time to move on from that. But... There was also this feeling of I probably could have made things work with him um, if I weren't leaving him for this, you know. <laughs> and yeah, this, like what kind of mistake did I make? And and also, how do I get this? How do I get it back? How do I get us back to what I fell in love with? And. I basically spent three straight years chasing her around, going, why don't we try this? Why don't we do that? Why don't you ever do this? What, you know, what happened? And blah, blah, blah. And we had a bazillion conversations about it. And at first she was very, because she had been single for so long, really didn't know how to communicate about those things. And she had always been the one to heal herself and take care of herself. That was another piece of what I needed to learn to be okay with. Uh, because... I was used to codependency mm-hmm. and she was completely independent. That scared the hell out of me, too. That was very threatening for me. <laughs> I, you know, I came from a place of being highly threatened. If someone I cared about had a different opinion than me, that was.
0: You're talking about your parents.
1: Um, certainly, you know, I mean, I, that's probably where it comes from. It, my dad and I did not agree on. <laughs> Anything. Um, so I suppose that to some extent it probably has to do with that. Like, uh oh, you know, if, if I don't agree with this person that I really care about, um, then it means I'm going to have this awful relationship, you know, with them like that. Or, you know, there's that level of separation there that I feel like we should have the same opinions about everything. <laughs> right.
0: Now, uh, if you were to objectively look at the chemistry between your wife and those early phases, um, would you say that it was her having a fear of intimacy or you just having an unhealthy expectation uh, or somewhere in between?
1: Both. Definitely both. So I have absolutely had insane expectations on my relationships. And a lot of that comes from just our societal programming. And my mom's always been a big romantic. So I grew up on romantic movies and love songs and breakup songs and um, romance novels and, and all of that and fairy tales. And it all just played a part in what I felt I was looking for and what I felt my relationships should look like. And so when a relationship didn't have that crazy, wonderful, passionate insanity that that comes with the beginning of a relationship, because that's really the part that I'm addicted to.
0: The fireworks.
1: Yes. That first year, year and a half of relationship, that's what I want every day of my life forever.
0: How realistic do you think that that is on a scale? <laughs> not self- at all. Okay.
1: Not yeah. Not realistic at all. And that's really what led me into doing what I do for work now. Because, I mean, that's really my specialty is helping people to not look at things that way. Because I was so ingrained in that. That was my complete and total reality. This is how love is supposed to look. And it was... A very painful scary journey to move out of that place
0: how did you do it
1: well (laughs) it took a lot of um a lot of reading a lot of introspection and really i think the biggest thing was after three years of kind of trying to chase her down and get her to turn back into that person i took a step back and said okay, what's the common denominator here? Because this has happened in every major relationship that I've been in.
0: <laughs> Finally, you had an epiphany.
1: Yes. So I said, okay, the common denominator here is me, not the people that I'm with. So why am I so stuck in needing a relationship to remain like this, and everybody else is fine when it gets to that comfort comfort phase? So that was a big piece of my healing. Did literature
0: help you uh, get to that point? Did you read something by Pia Melody? Uh,
1: What did I read? I read Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Great Um, book. Have you ever read uh, A New Earth? That's a great one, too. Yeah, I really love that one, too. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Uh, There's a great book by John Welshens called One Soul, One Love, One Heart. And hands down, that is the best relationship book that anyone can ever get their hands on. How do you say his last name again? Welshons, W-E-L-S-H-O-N-S. Okay. And that book blew my mind. Cover to cover, I was reading that thing going, Holy crap, how did he know? How did he know this was how I looked at love and how I looked at life and how I looked at all of my connections in life? Not just romantic relationships, but all of them. And then also giving a completely different way of looking at it. And I soaked that book up like a sponge. <laughs> it was just going, okay, wow, I didn't even know this was possible.
0: So it sounds like you suddenly saw that love could take a different form. Yeah. And it wasn't as intoxicating or addictive.
1: Right. It was and kind of
0: more mature and nuanced.
1: Yeah. And at the same time, I was also having to recognize that there were so many levels to why I freaked out when things changed. Because there was a piece of me that, you know, my ego was really being fed by the way that she was interacting with me, by feeling sexually desirable, by being constantly complimented and chafed a- chased after and, and adored and... um pursued, and then the addiction to the rush of the chemicals that come with all of that. It's
0: so powerful.
1: Yeah. So there was a physical addiction The
0: oxytocin.
1: Yes. And the endorphins and (laughs) all of the good stuff. It's a
0: pharmacy that's in your brain and it's open 24 hours a day.
1: Yes. And what's really cool is I've actually figured out how to access that on my own, just with my thoughts. So being able to kind of go into my own head and see a control panel and be able to play with, okay, there's some cortisol happening. I've got a knot in my stomach. I'm going to turn that down right now. And... I'd like to feel a little rush of new love or have a little giddiness right now. And I'll take that dial and I'll turn it up and go, Whee, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so,
0: just by thinking of it, you're yes, able to do that? Yeah. That kind of blows my mind.
1: Your brain is in control of your body. And so, with, you know, basically, if you command your brain to produce what you want it to produce and stop producing what you want it to stop producing, it will, at least for that. Brief period of time
0: for you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because I do. You truly believe mm -hmm. everybody can do that? Because I'm very cynical uh, about the the thought that everybody has the capacity to do that.
1: I, you know, I think that probably it takes a level of believing that you can control that. But if you look at the fact that the brain controls everything in the body, then if you can access the part of your brain that allows for that it's pretty incredible that you can you can play with where your where your chemicals are now i actually was kind of doubtful of it myself when i <laughs> started trying it and i just went in and i said i don't want to have this knot in my stomach right now i'm going to go in and see what i can do to change this and I actually visualized the dial with the cortisol label on top of it and I turned it down. And I didn't know what to expect. And just that not completely dissolved. And I sat there for a second and said, Oh my gosh.
0: No, had you been a medi- just worked. M- Had you been a meditator before this?
1: <laughs> not before all of the um all of the issues and stuff that I that led me here in the first place. I was um, I was certainly meditating prior to doing this exercise of brain control. But it's really only been for the last five or six years that I've been doing energy healing and hypnosis and meditation and, and all of that business. And really, it's only been that amount of time that I've been studying up on how to control my own thoughts, my own thinking about things, my brainwaves, all of it. So it's still this wonderful experiment, and I love to experiment on myself. And every time something works that I try, I'm just blown away because I also have that level of doubt. I'm a realist. So when something works like playing with a dial in your head and you turn off a knot in your stomach, I'm shocked. And I'm still struggling with the restless leg syndrome that came on from the depression and anxiety that I was having during the divorce. And the other night, I decided, well, if I can control my brain chemicals, what if I can also control what's going on in my legs? So the middle of the night, I started to get restless leg syndrome, and I went into the control panel in my head, and I looked for the area that was for restless legs, and I clicked a button, and it stopped. I felt a little tingle in my leg for a second, and it just stopped. And I sat up. I I was... (laughs) completely in shock. I didn't expect it to work. And it did. So <laughs> I was just sitting there going, what just happened right now? I can't believe and that did I just did And did it just work act. for
0: that night or is it just pretty much gone now?
1: Um, it worked for that night. So I've had to do it a couple more times since then. Um, it's not a nightly occurrence for me. It's usually um, if I overdo my workout or if I drink alcohol uh-huh. or something like that, that night it'll start acting up again. Uh, and now instead of having to take some medication or take a walk around (laughs) the house, I can just go into meditation and play with the buttons and dials and tell it what I want it to do. And I can't believe it works either.
0: Now, is this something you came up with (laughs) on your own or is this something you read somewhere and tried?
1: That specific technique was not something that I read, but I really feel like I do so much reading and research that all of it kind of comes together as a puzzle for me. And I feel like there's always another puzzle that I'm putting together. There have been times where I've felt like the universe is putting me through some kind of degree. You know, I'll be um, pushed to read a certain book or take a certain class or talk to a certain person. Until all of the pieces fall into place and I know what needs to be done with all of that. And that was another one of those classes that I guess I got that took a while to sink in. I had, and the dials thing is fairly recent. I had, I had learned about the dials exercise quite a while back, and it just kind of went on the back burner. And it's actually, I think, in my book um, I mention it. But over the last few weeks... As I've been working on clients, I sort of channel messages from their guides and and who knows, you know, honestly, whether that's actually guides or whether that's their subconscious talking to mine. But whatever it is, there's a great connection that's occurring there that's bringing through the wisdom that needs to come through in order for them to receive the healing they need. And all over the last couple of weeks, it's been all about those dials. And it's about it being more than just the emotions and feelings and body chemicals. It's everything because your brain controls your pain levels. Your brain controls how your body works. It controls everything. So it's been a much more in-depth, like, pay attention to this. You have the control. Your higher consciousness gets to control that control panel and decide what your brain's going to be up to, and therefore what your body's going to be up to. And so right now, this is all kind of a new, really interesting discovery for me, too, that it's going to this level mm-hmm. and this extent.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> is there is there anything else uh, that, that you would like to, to touch on or share about?
1: Um, well, I think uh, probably going back a little bit to, you know, childhood and sort of looking at what it is that creates that level of love addiction. Mm -hmm. Because I certainly had some interesting (laughs) things occur as I was growing up. Um, And I feel like it all kind of like builds up to create that person that you become Mm -hmm. and the issues that you end up having to move past and and work through so that you can live your purpose
0: yeah so what are what are some of those
1: so well just a a a brief like timeliney kind of thing so when my mom was 17 she became pregnant with me and had already broken up with my dad when she found out she was pregnant and they actually got back together and got married just because of me and that lasted probably a year year and a half (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, cause obviously they didn't like each other that much. And so now he is more like an uncle to me and his kids are kind of like cousins. Like we mm-hmm. have that sort of relationship. He's always been a part of my life. There was never, you know, he didn't abandon us or, you know, uh, skip out on his child support payments or anything of that nature. Uh, but it's always been, you know, see him every few months, if that, and, uh, You know, just that kind of relationship. And then my mom met another guy when I was about two or three. And he became a common part of my life when I was probably about three years old. And right away, I didn't resonate with him. Yeah, There's a story my mom always tells me about... She got a photographer to come and take our pictures, and the photographer wanted me to hold his hand. And I was like, I don't want to hold his hand. What <laughs> What are you talking about right now? Um, and he actually adopted me when I was about eight or nine. And I was given the option to say yes or no, but I didn't really feel like it was okay to say no. He was already kind of my dad by then.
0: If your mom was there, why did he need to adopt you? Oh,
1: because he was in the military, and we were going to be moving to Kansas and Germany, so we were basically moving out of the state that my father lived in, uh, my biological father. Uh, So in order for that to be okay... um, I think there was some kind of legal thing that needed to happen in okay. order for that travel and passports and I don't know what all else to be and, able to happen.
0: And he was married to your mom then or no?
1: He married her right around that time. Okay.
0: Because yeah. I would think marrying your mom would be enough that he wouldn't need to adopt you. Yeah, you would yeah, think so. it's kind so. of confusing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, go, I'm not really sure.
1: Um, so, oh, and I actually skipped something when i was an infant um so my mom was single at this point and we were visiting her parents at their lake house so my grandparents lake house and i was an infant and my uncle was downstairs molesting me in some way and of course i have no memory of any of this but it was huge trauma for my mother to walk in on and
0: i can't even imagine
1: like what <laughs> What is it that a grown man can be doing to an infant? Because I, I don't have the details. I don't know if he was rubbing against me or touching me. I don't know what he was doing. Um, but, yeah, I was probably maybe a year old.
0: Wow. Yeah. I say wow a lot on this mm. podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But that's a wow.
1: Yeah. Now, what's really interesting is about... Five or six years later, he stayed with us in our house. Um, He's schizophrenic, and he was supposedly medicated during this time. But pretty shocking, considering how angry my mother was after the (laughs) incident, and that she still let him stay with us. And his... uh, his schizophrenia sort of came and went, and he kind of went on and off his medication and, and all of that. Um, also, interesting, he molested her when she was a child, and she blocked it out until probably another 20 years after it had happened to me. Really? Like she remembered when I was in high school when she started going for therapy. So,
0: And it was her uncle?
1: Her brother. Her brother. It was her oldest brother. Okay. Yeah. And there's a very interesting saga with that whole situation because her oldest brother and sister were schizophrenic and bipolar. And they were both kind of in and out of the welfare system and all kinds of things in Detroit. And right around the time I had my son, so this was about 16 years ago. They both died within a week of each other. So how the family found out was basically he had stopped taking his medication and um, had starved himself to death because of the voices. And he just, wow. he, yeah, he had no electricity, but his TV would talk to him. And so he stopped eating and starved to death and was found after a week. And his sister, the bipolar one, was pretty close to him. So she found out. But she was drunk and or high when she found out. And started crying and threw up and suffocated on her own vomit.
0: Boy, you can't make it up, can you? (laughs) You can't make it up. It's
1: Yeah. So just an incredible story with those two and that being my mom's oldest siblings and that he was the one that molested her he molested me and who knows what all else he was up to my aunt i kind of grew up with around a lot she was our next door neighbor for quite a while too uh and
0: not the one that yeah she's the one that died
1: okay um she she reminds me of Janice Joplin in my memory. So like mm-hmm. that's how I kind of think of her is like Janice Joplin. Um, she was always like the, the sloppy aunt that lived next door and would have like stale leftover popcorn the next morning when I'd come over and visit. And, uh, <laughs> so I don't really, you know, have anything negative associated with her. But uh, yeah, that's quite a situation going on with them. But with... Just with the uncle and stuff. I I have to wonder whether even that young, when you can't necessarily form opinions about things, um, to have attention come at you that's sexual in nature and involving those body parts in some way um, must put some kind of programming in there, you would yeah, I, think.
0: Wonder, I wonder if that was related to you being uh, so kind of... Su- Sexual as a as a kid.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, that's a piece of what I'm wondering. And then, um, okay, so I said that he my uh, stepfather adopted me and we moved to Germany while we were in Germany. Our fourth grade teacher molested the entire class. He would if you had a question. Have you come and stand behind the desk? And he would pet your genitalia while he answered your question. Every God. single kid, boys, girls, didn't matter.
0: <laughs> how how long can you get away with that?
1: Yeah, right. Now, I tr- I'm like racking my brains trying to figure out what did I think when that was going on? You know, did I like it? Did I think this is bad? Did, you know, I never said anything to anybody about it. The way that it was discovered was that one of my classmates told her mother, and her mother ran into mine and said, has April mentioned anything like this to you? Um, and so then my parents grabbed me and asked me, and, and I said, oh, yeah, he does do that. <laughs> And I was interviewed by the military police. What's crazy is he did not get arrested.
0: Of course not.
1: Because it was a military school um, on a military base, he was basically just fired from that job and sent back to the U.S. So he probably went and taught at some regular public U.S. school.
0: I'm sure he did.
1: Yeah. And when they asked why he did it, he said, I'm so fat and ugly. Nobody but a child would love me.
0: Man. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Uh Uh-huh.
1: So there's that. And then to add to things, um, we move back to the Detroit area and when i'm 13 one day uh, my my shoulders hurt or something you're
0: going for the trifecta here aren't you yep
1: yeah so my mom was working my dad was home my brother and sister were in bed and my dad was like oh well i can rub your shoulders for you or you want me to give you a massage and i was like Okay, sure, that'd be great. I had never had a massage before; sounded good. And when he started massaging my thighs, he said, "Your mother would kill me if she knew I was doing this." <laughs> and that seemed really odd to me. You know, at at thirteen, I'm you know starting to blossom and and uh, finding it rather odd that he feels the need to say that. Like, had he just done it, it would have been nothing. But to take the time to say, your mother would kill me if she knew I was doing this, took it to a whole other level.
0: What did you think or feel in that moment? Is that just kind of made my, my stomach yeah, tighten? Yeah, like-
1: and I think that's probably what happened with me, too. Uh, it's It's kind of hard to remember... Because, you know, since then I've sort of clouded it with my own memory and perception.
0: (laughs) Did you just shut down when he did that? Did did it end? What?
1: Mm, I don't know. I just remember I was on the living room floor watching TV and he was sort of behind me and massaging me and saying that. And then I don't think the massage lasted much longer beyond that. But it was very uncomfortable After that point, where before that it was nice and relaxing, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I like massages, I guess. And then there's that. So that was kind of odd and questionable. And I don't think there really had been much before that that I really felt like he was inappropriate. I mean, he's always been one to go, ooh, you know, if he sees a sexy woman or, you know, something that's attractive or whatever. But it always seemed like before that point, he was very much like, he didn't want me to be overly sexy or, you know, he didn't want me to wear a bikini bathing suit and I wasn't old enough to do that. And so he was kind of playing a very fatherly role up until that point, And then that was kind of odd. Um, and then into high school, He would specifically like time walking in on me when I was getting out of the shower. And if I would lock the door, he would yell at me for locking the door.
0: I read (laughs) that so often in the surveys. It is so sadly common. Yeah. It is so sadly common.
1: So nothing ever really happened, but there was just that odd kind of what is going on here.
0: I would strongly disagree with you that nothing ever happened. That is a huge violation. That is a huge violation.
1: And I have to agree with you there. Um, I was dating my high school sweetheart at the time. His dad worked for the Department of Social Services. So when I would complain to my boyfriend about this situation, he told his dad, and his dad was basically like, if that continues, I have to report it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a law.
1: Yeah. And so I basically, one day when my it was right around that time. Actually, my mom technically,
0: was, I think he was supposed yeah. to report it either um, way right, right mm-hmm. then. But he was probably, that was his way of saying, right. please stop telling me right. this so that I can yeah. avoid having to get involved right. with with yeah. this and have a clear conscience.
1: Yeah. So one day my mom was like, why don't you respect your father?
0: Oh, no. And I no. And so I
1: said, because I'm afraid he's going to molest me. <laughs> and it was the only way that I knew to tell her. It was the only way I knew to make that stop. And so... He got really weird for a while after that. So no she talked no compliments, him. you know. She talked to him. <laughs> yeah, so she talked to him. And he really never went in that direction with me again. Um so yeah, there was definitely some kind of discussion that happened, and there was some awkwardness that followed that for a while. Uh but thank goodness it stopped. And As far as I know, nothing like that ever happened with his natural children because I have a brother and sister who are 9 and 12 years younger than me. And, you know, I think it was the step thing. And, you know, I don't know. (laughs) You
0: you realize that that's incest.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... It's difficult even now for me to think about him hearing this and my mom having to hear this. So difficult to say it in thinking, oh, if they hear this, this is really going to, you know, break their hearts. And uh, But it's it's my truth. It's my experience. And it's something that I've had to kind of work through. And it's just something that added another layer to the already... You know, overly sexualized life that I've had, both because of the molestations and because of what I grew up with with our culture and where I've put my own focus, you know, because I learned at an early age that love and sex were big and important. And so that's where I would put my focus. And the more I put my focus there, the more important that became. And so I think that all of that sort of built to that place. And I can step back and look at it now and go, that was all a gift. That all brought me to this big struggle that I had to go through so that I know how to support people when they're going through something like that and when they're ready to step out of that victim mode. Because that's absolutely where I was. I felt like a victim in my life. I felt like (laughs) um, things were happening to me. And everything was an attack on me and what I wanted and what I needed. And, and to be able to shift that has been huge. So it was an amazing gift to have to go through all of that and then to be able to step out of that.
0: I, I always call it a beautiful gift in hideous wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a forced gym membership. Right to yeah. have to live through that kind of kind of shit is so um it takes so much work and so much um just putting one foot in front of the other on mm-hmm. those days when you just don't want to be alive when you just feel when the only thing that brings you comfort or pleasure is something that's addictive or unhealthy or mm-hmm. um or you just plain old feel that emptiness in your chest. That's yeah. where I would, when I first really started to confront trauma that I had experienced, that's that's what I would, I would say it felt like a bulldozer just scooped out my chest. Mm-hmm. And like I was just floating in, in space. Yeah. Like a go. I felt like a ghost walking through my day. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I can, you know, anybody out there that's feeling that way right now, if you if you get help you will not feel that way forever in mm-hmm. fact you can feel the opposite of that yeah on on your good days you will feel such um peace and meaning and purpose um but i imagine people hearing us right now say this
1: mm. that
0: haven't experienced any of that recovery it would probably make me I don't know if it would make me hopeful or it would would make me cynical and angry. Mm. Yeah, because it sounds so far fetched that, yeah. that that somebody would be grateful to have their dad do the things that he did to right. you. Right. To have a mom do the things that she did to me. Mm-hmm. Um. That's weird. Life is fucking weird.
1: Yeah. It is.
0: <laughs> so of course you were set up to become a a love addict or a mm-hmm. or a sex addict. Yeah. So how do you, Mm -hmm. is there, do the things that you do kind of help keep that, your addict in check? Do you go to uh, support groups? Um,
1: I feel like, well, it's, it's pretty interesting. I really don't have those impulses anymore. It's just gone. And just a few years ago, if I were talking about that falling away from the passion and the newness and and all of that and and the change in my relationship with my wife when we first got serious, I would not have been able to speak about that without crying and, and completely losing it because I was still so wrapped up in that and so in need of that validation and that rush and everything that came with it and now it's just that's just part of my story that's all right it's okay and (laughs) doesn't it make you cringe sometimes when
0: you look back at at the depths of neediness that yeah that you experienced oh man sometimes i look back and i'll even have moments currently where i'll do something out of neediness Mm -hmm. that I can't even see it or feel it at the time. And then I'll look back and i go, oh my God, you were so, it was so needy of you that you had to be, you know, I don't know, the center of attention right mm-hmm. there. Or, right. You were so afraid that you were invisible or that you didn't matter. That's the work that I've done in support groups. I, the, The nugget that came out of the slot machine for me from all the work I did in there was that Most of my life has been run around the false belief that I don't matter Mm -hmm. and trying to somehow compensate for that. And I think that's why what we're talking about, the sharing our story and connecting to other people, especially people who are in the middle of it, is it gives you the exact opposite message, which Mm -hmm. is that you do matter because your story matters to them because you see a light come on in their eye or maybe you see them move to tears and- say oh my god somebody else feels this way Mm -hmm. well of course you matter yeah of course you matter
1: absolutely yeah let's do
0: some fears and loves all right (laughs) thank you for sharing that april
1: yeah my pleasure thank you thank you for for having this safe place to
0: share it's nice isn't it yeah it's my support groups, I always say, is like the... I don't know how many square feet the room is. I don't know, 200 square feet. <laughs> it, it's the safest four walls. Yeah. It's the safest four walls. It's just like getting into a jacuzzi. Mm-hmm. I can just go... Uh, for an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. It's just so nice. That's it's so nice.
1: That's really what I hope to provide... In my sessions, you know and and what I feel happens when i 'm working with people, you know yeah. we, we do a lot of that kind of work together, where I really get to hear people's stories and what they're struggling with most, and what they most need to heal, and then to be able to actually Do some energy work on that and to even sometimes like I'll do regression work with them and bring them back to those specific moments and walk them through what needs to happen in order to release the trauma Mm -hmm. around that moment. It's such an amazing gift to be able to have that moment with somebody.
0: Well, April, thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your stuff with us. And your book is called Essence and yes. um we'll put some some links up on uh on the website.
1: Wonderful. So Thank people you. People
0: can check that out and your uh, and your website is well. what was the name of your website again?
1: fillingyourcup.com. F-
0: filling your I bet if you accidentally mistype something else you're going to get a vastly different website. <laughs> <laughs> thanks April.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Many many thanks to uh April and so I shot her an email to uh get any updates on how she's doing she is uh still married to her wife uh she writes that they are more in love than than ever Uh, that's going great and uh she has discovered a new hypnosis that she likes even better than the old one and so i think one of the things we're going to do is maybe do a little mini update with her and uh have it for uh patreon uh donors uh not sure when we're going to make that happen, but uh, it's on the it's on the to do list. Before we get to um, some surveys, I want to give some love to a, a new sponsor of ours, uh, Tommy John. Tommy John is the twenty first century men's underwear brand that's redefined comfort for guys everywhere, myself included. Uh, I, Oh, there goes a big car. I don't know about you guys, but the only thing that makes social anxiety worse is when you're sweating and your underwear is bunched up and riding. Um, I love the underwear uh, that they gave me to try out. It's, uh, I don't know how to describe it, sleek. It's, um, It's so breathable. And the thing that I really like is... Even if I'm wearing a pair of like dress pants or jeans that are uh, tight on me, it doesn't grab onto my underwear. and uh, so I don't get wedgies, I don't get hot spots. I don't get uh, they're just they remain cool and breathable and stay where they're supposed to be, and it doesn't move my junk around without its permission. Very important to me. Um, I try their undershirts and they're awesome too. Um it it's uh they first of all they don't come untucked like a lot of undershirts do. Um and it was just so breathable and it's got a little bit of uh stretch to it. So that's another thing that I like when you're wearing a dress shirt is you can wear a dress shirt that's um a little uh You don't have to worry about it bunching up, kind of like the the underwear. But I decided, uh, and they also gave me socks, I'm going to really road test the underwear, uh, the t-shirt, and the socks. And so I did a two-hour cleaning session. And normally when I clean, there's no like enjoyment of, oh, I'm tidying up. Look at how much gratitude I have for the fact that I have a place to live. Oh, no. It's just head down, plow through it, like my fucking hair's on fire get through it as fast as I can and then I'm usually left completely drenched in sweat and when I road tested uh the Tommy John stuff um it was completely completely different I was not roasting in soaking wet clothes uh I was cool I was dry and uh, and I dig it so I am I'm a fan I'm totally sold um couple more things you should know, uh, Tommy John's underwear is backed by the best pair you will ever wear or it's free guarantee. So um, use the code MENTAL at TommyJohn.com now for 20% off your first order. That's MENTAL as your code for 20% off at TommyJohn.com. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Get to some surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Alien Educator, and she writes about her depression. Oh, this one is so good. This one might be the best depression one I think I've ever read. The fair at twilight, just after close on a Sunday and you're a child who can't find your mother. (sighs) How fucking good is that? That is... The only thing that I would have done to punch it up is it's December, and like I said, it's 46 and raining. But then again, there wouldn't be a fair if it was 46 and raining. That's karma for me thinking that needed punching up. I'm a terrible human being. I'm less than human. I'm an animal. I'm not even an animal. I'm a mollusk. That's how unworthy of love (laughs) I feel when I think I made a mistake. Oh, my God. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Damned Anne, and she writes, I was about eight, uh, My mother was having a tantrum. She went into a tirade about how we never hung up our jackets. There was a jacket on the floor. She said, I'm going to stomp all over this fucking jacket if whoever it belongs to doesn't get it right now. At the time, we all had matching jackets. Silky blue with a cardinal on the back, our local team mascot. She proceeded to kick and stomp the jacket. My brother and I just watched her from the living room. I knew my jacket was hung up and my brother knew his was because we'd both just come in and hung them up. He started laughing. Mom, that's your jacket. She just huffed and went away instead of beating me or verbally verbally abusing one of us. It's something my brother and I still laugh about. Fuck, that is good. Thank you for that. This is uh, Shanna. Shanna. Shanna or Shana, uh, describing her depression, rolling a boulder up a mountain eternally, but also pursued by bees. That is fantastic. Uh, A snapshot from her life called the suicide hotline while lying on the bathroom floor with a dirty bath mat over my head, which somehow made sense at the time, but the hotline worker couldn't figure out why the sound quality was so bad. You guys are the best. You are just the best. Uh, This is a Shaman's Secret survey filled out by Wesley, and um, I'm very conscious right now about how much paper noise I'm making, so I'm going to pretend that I'm not. I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from uh, Wesley's uh, thing, actually just one thing I wanted to read. never been the victim of sexual abuse some stuff happened she checked some stuff happened but i don't know if it counts and then she writes i had instigated a little physical contact but it came to a point where i wanted him to stop he was a lot bigger than me and didn't seem to want to take no for an answer and by the way he didn't seem to want to take no for an answer that that is as far as you needed to write uh, but I'll continue. And I told him I wasn't quite comfortable with it. And he told me it would be fine. What he, that, those are the words he used. But what he told you was, I don't care what you want. Uh, and he continued with it. I I can't even read that. My God, I'm going to read what she said because it's just heartbreaking. I took it like a champ and moved on. I hope you give weight to to what happened to you, not to necessarily vilify him, but for you to give yourself the compassion that you deserve. Sam writes about her depression. Maybe if I sleep another 12 hours, I'll feel better. Oh my God, do I relate to that one. About her love addiction. If I could just climb inside you, everything would be okay. Um any comments to make the pod oh this is the one about uh, being annoyed by the printing the surveys on paper um and then uh she was annoyed by uh the episode uh, with Judy Gold because uh she she writes i never heard someone gulp so hard in my life every minute um you know i've occasionally noticed that when i'm recording somebody but it would completely kill the vibe of the interview um, if I said, you know, when you gulp, it's really loud because then they're going to be in their head about that. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I am aware of these things because I edit these. I hear the sound. And in post, I try to tweak whatever I can to minimize that. But um, certain things are beyond my control and um, this next one is from Erin and she writes about her anxiety something terrible is going to happen and it's my fault and also nothing terrible is going to happen and I'm paranoid and crazy (laughs) That's so good about her anorexia being hungry is my superpower t-shirt that is a t-shirt snapshot from her life worrying about the amount of sugar in two bites of a muffin the day after running a marathon Wow. I hope you're getting help, Aaron. I hope you're getting help. Because that is... And I hope you're not telling yourself that this is... That I'm saying that because you're weak. Quite the opposite. You're a sensitive human being in a world filled with insensitive people. And that is what we do if we if we haven't been given better tools growing up, we reach for the closest one we discover as a kid or an adolescent, or sometimes even as a as a um as a hundred and two year old. There's got to be a hundred and two- year- old out there that all of a sudden started shoplifting uh and we would let them get away with it, right, because of their age. Uh, This is an awful moment filled out by Warrior Wounds, and she writes, uh, Hearing on the news that neo-Nazi groups are encouraging people who are upset about the election uh, to kill themselves, and then realizing that my own suicidal ideation just evaporated because I refuse to give them the satisfaction. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um... I just want to read a portion of this shame and secret survey. It was filled out by a woman who calls herself hybrid human. And she is, um, how old is she? In her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. ever been the victim of sexual abuse, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I've had multiple incidents, never raped or physically hurt, so I don't know if it counts, but I've learned that having fictional relationships in your head is easier than letting them emotionally hurt you in real life. Um, uh, Sexual abuse is not dependent on being raped or physically hurt or even penetrated or even touched. There can be visual sexual abuse, spying on somebody, uh, barging in uh, on them when they should be having privacy, treating their body like it's yours, like it's something that you own. Um, It it, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, So please give weight to what you feel. And don't worry about whether or not it's prosecutable or what that person's intent was. And the other part of uh, her survey I wanted to read was, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? And she writes, not sure. My dad used to fight me and use my pressure points to hurt me. He thought it was funny. Uh, Check and check. Uh, To him, it was play but it just made me angry. When I was actually in trouble, he would use his size to intimidate me. One memory I have is of being with my back on the staircase and him yelling in my face. Because of him, sometimes when men go to high-five me or raise their arms in any way, I flinch or duck. It's embarrassing, and they looked so shocked at my reaction, so I quickly make a joke out of it, but it sucks that it's my automatic response sometimes. I know my dad loves me, and he hasn't treated me that way since high school. In high school, I was also bullied by the boys on my cross-country team about my looks, sexual experience, lack of, and teased about having incest with my brother, which they made up just because he was also on the team. My self-esteem went out the window. I hated myself. And I wanted to read that because I... Um, when, when people say things that are mean um whether it's at me or at somebody else one of the things i've been conscious of in the last couple of years is asking myself is that person actually really subconsciously yelling at themselves because those are the things that they're afraid are true about them and 99% of the time yeah i think it is so That doesn't mean you shouldn't stick up for yourself, but it, sometimes I will let something go and just go, you know, that, that person's got a lot of self-hatred and, um, you know, I do it, um, there's a political candidate in the news who attacks people a lot and, um, that's what I do because I start to get outraged. And then I just remember, A, I don't have control over what this person says. And I try to remember, um, hurt people hurt people. I am hating myself for saying that. Hating. Hating isn't even a strong enough word for how that sounded when it came out of my mouth. I, when I've heard other people use that phrase, um because it's a something you hear in recovery hurt people hurt people i thought it was going to sound good and i uh i thought i hated myself when the show started we have gone to a whole new level um what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to dad your choice of work over family even when mom was sick why because i've never had the courage to say it to his face That's another thing that I think is so, so important that we don't address in this country is why people feel the need to sacrifice their kids having a relationship with their parents. I can understand if you're having to do it to survive, but once you've reached the comfort threshold, um, You can say what you want, but I think that's abusive. I think it's abusive because it fucks people up. Always nauseous uh, writes about living with an abuser, constantly broken down so he can be the hero that puts me back together. Wow, that is profound. That is profound. Thank you for that. sassafrazzled. I hate that name, and I'm also in love with it. I don't. By the end of the uh, show, I may have reached a decision, but for right now, I am on the fence about your name, Sassafrasled. I've come to a decision. I hate your name. Um, about uh, her compulsive behaviors, it's like having restless leg syndrome of the spirit. And now, I'm in love with you because that is brilliant. About living with an abuser. uh, Yes, an emotional abuser, my mom. It's like walking on marbles in an oil slick. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And if you guys are ever looking for a topic uh, that you don't think the podcast has covered yet, before you email me, um, do two things. Go to the website and type some keywords in the search box. um, and, And if nothing comes up there, uh, post in the forum under the Discuss the Podcast thread, and there's a good chance somebody else will will know because it's hard to keep up sometimes with the emails because to answer that question, I often have to rack my brain, which is usually a tumbleweed, and uh, then I have to go open up the list of all 300 episodes and scan through them because I'm afraid if I don't, you'll hate me. Uh, this is... Uh this is from a struggle in a sentence survey, and I just wanted to read, um, this is by Play Orgus Board and a snapshot from her life. I'm currently in my 20s and work full- time at a bakery in Delhi. On weekends, we get very busy and have teenagers come in uh, to work on cash uh, to work cash. I noticed this one specific kid always annoyed the crap out of me. He was literally my kryptonite, always incredibly slow to get things done, uncoordinated, insecure, easily distracted, and he would get absurdly defensive whenever faced with criticism. More often than not, I'd find myself yelling at him over his latest blunder. Sometimes I was nearly a bully. I really hated that. I'm normally patient and compassionate, so I really couldn't figure it out. I simply Uh, I started simply avoiding him and directing my complaints to my supervisor. Recently, I had a paradigm shift. I tried to give him a compliment on his work one day, and he instantly assumed I was criticizing him. In that very moment, I saw that the reason that he annoys me so much is that he behaves just like I used to. In fact, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that he's probably somewhat depressed. I know his mother as she works next door. She's the most put-together, charismatic, and friendly customer we have. In fact, she's just like my mother was 10 years ago. From the outside, everyone finds it absurd that they are related. I was just like him at that age and even well into my early 20s. I would get overly defensive every time and had trouble taking compliments. And by reflex, I started treating him just like the people in my life treated me the same way my eventual co-workers saw and acted towards me. It's just funny how easily those cycles perpetuate, how being wronged and being bullied grows these seeds of resentment that show up once we gain the slightest bit of power. It takes work, but I've put in all my effort to treat him with exclusively gentle compassion. I focus only on his positive actions and patiently explain when he's messed up. It isn't going to fix him, but at the very least, I won't make things worse. You are awesome. That's it. Short, sweet. Robin Robe um, filled out a shame and secret survey. And I'm going to read uh, all of this. He is in his 30s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse and stuff happens, happened, but I don't know if it counts. And uh, He writes uh, the classic touched wieners with my cousin. Uh, But he doesn't specify any more than that. Uh, He's been emotionally abused. My girlfriend and I traveled the world together for three years. We visited five continents, dozens of countries. We spent every single moment of every single day together, working, living, partying, traveling. I got tired of the nomadic life. I also fell into a depression after a workplace accident left me unable to work and in chronic pain. I unknowingly pushed her away emotionally. I went to Peru and drank too much and did too much cocaine. Uh, we went deep in debt uh, to feel burnt out and disconnected. When we got home, I got two jobs. This left her all the time in the world to start an affair with a married friend of mine. She told me after a two-day coke and whiskey bender that she went with him. Any positive experiences with the abusers, abuser or abusers? I've never loved or been closer to anyone in my whole life. We climbed To the highest emotional and literal peaks this world has to offer Uh, living in a van busking across canada together music festivals high on lsd in tasmania mountain climbing in nepal the craziest scooter trip you can even imagine in india through the himalayas should i go on we experienced in four years what some married couples of 40 years will never know darkest thoughts sometimes i want to beat her and my friend to death Sometimes I imagine doing crazy, saw-style shit to both of them. Darkest Secrets. I once didn't stop when a girl I was dating in high school asked me to stop. I was really drunk, but that is no excuse. Well, I'm glad that you, in hindsight, um, take responsibility for it. And I hope that if you see her again or have a way of contacting her, um, that you um say that to her. Because that might help her. It might. I don't know. But, um, again, I'm not a therapist. But I did make ravioli one time um, to a Burt Reynolds movie, and it was delicious. So, that's got to certainly factor in. Uh, Oh, I forgot to say, um, are you gay, straight, bisexual, uh, asexual, or... uh, other. And he writes, I have never looked at a man with obvious sexual desire, but I love penises. I love giving blowjobs and getting anally penetrated. Um, sexual fantasy, uh, most powerful to you, uh, a trans woman. Uh, and then in parentheses, a woman with a penis. Uh, threesome, two girls, one guy. I'm pretty comfortable with my sexuality. Hi fucking five, dude. It's so rare that I read somebody's sexual fantasy and to the answer, how does sharing your fantasy make you feel? Uh It's so rare that somebody is like, yeah, I'm cool with it. What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I've tried to express myself to my partner and my friend, but I really wish they could simply feel how desperate, depressed, and confused I have felt for the last nine months. To my high school girlfriend, oh, I already apologized, but it will never feel like enough. I just want her to know uh, her forgiveness, kind words. Nothing will make me forgive myself for that drunken mistake. It is, going, is just going to be there as one of those sad, stupid mistakes for the rest of my life. Burned into memory, making me cringe and sick to my stomach. Please stop beating yourself up. You have done what you can to make it right. And... I'm just going to take a wild guess that she would not want you to live the rest of your life um, beating yourself up. It's not going to help you be a better person. If anything, it's going to weaken your connection to other people because sometimes you're going to be in your head when somebody is expressing admiration or affection for you and you're going to be thinking, but you don't know. I'm such a piece of shit. I did this, you know, whatever. What, if anything, do you wish for? Uh, To get in a time machine with my partner and my friend. Go back to when we all met and have a group session together. Also, I wish I could teach myself a class during my school years called Shit You Really Need to Know. You and me both. Um, He goes to a men's relationship support group. That's awesome. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? A little better, but I am but I am compulsively thinking about it. I just want to move past it. I feel like a failure. Um, I've got to wonder if there isn't some kind of childhood trauma that, that she just kind of, you know, not that a partner cheating on you isn't a horrible traumatic thing, but I just wonder if there there isn't also some kind of childhood thing that that this brought back to the surface. Just my two cents. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Anna Cocktail of Valtrex and Prozac. and uh, She writes uh, about her compulsive behaviors. Um, Picking my face, head, cuticles, and scabs to feel the rush of pain that comes from breaking skin and the warmth of the blood coming up to create a scab all over again. About experiencing racial or cultural bias. Always knowing that I'm inferior to a huge majority because I'm brown and a woman. Uh, Can anyone really see the real me? Uh, Other issues. Living with two stigmas after finding out that you got an incurable STD from your ex who didn't care enough to tell you he had it and coming to terms that not only do i have mental health issues i now have herpes and i'm now viewed as a shameful disgusting whore when i've always used condoms knowing that i now have more ways for someone to reject me i really hope i don't know what it's like to uh, to have uh, an incurable std but i do have friends that have them and they have found ways uh, and they're in committed relationships and more honest with their partners. So I know some people, It there are a lot of people I know who have committed relationships with a loving partner who is okay with it. And they take precautions when necessary. And I hope you can get to a point Someday, where there's at least some, some. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, peace, acceptance. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should just shut my mouth. Really in my head today. That a boy, Paul. I'm really disliking DJ voice lately. It just, it feels like I lost the classic rock DJ kind of uh, thing, and it's it's just. Uh, I wonder if um. I wonder if Herbert put a hex on me, because I wasn't talking about him enough. This is a str- struggle in the sentence survey filled out by not as fucked up as you, and about her depression she writes feeling invalid in my struggles and guilty because I had a perfect childhood with loving parents that didn't mess me up and every coping mechanism works for me while all the friends who also have mental illnesses have so many more layers of struggle to heal through please don't do that to yourself please don't add that unnecessary extra hurdle by saying I shouldn't be feeling this you know that's like if if a car hit you and another person at the same time, and and you would say, "Oh, I I shouldn't feel the pain of this broken leg because they were hungry and I just came from an awesome meal at an expensive restaurant." No, you both been, you're both in pain. You're both in pain. Surprisingly, I'm not hating myself for that analogy. Give it about 10 seconds and I'll, uh, I'll feel differently uh, about her compulsive behaviors. Dermatillomania, uh, which is compulsive skin picking, knowing that picking at my skin obviously makes it worse, but feeling like I have to pick at bumps or scabs to make them flat to the point that I make myself bleed on a daily basis snapshot from her life realizing I picked at work and my face is bleeding going to the bathroom and staying in there for way longer than I should as I pick all the scabs on my face in the mirror through all the blood until I'm satisfied I've done everything I can then having to wait several minutes with the tissue to my face until the bleeding stops and no one knows thank you for sharing that Super Fun at Parties. I love that name. Um, oh, this is dark. This is a dark one. Um, struggle in a sentence about uh, being a sex crime victim, but I felt compelled to to read this. Um, she writes, Your cum may as well have been glue because I sure as fuck can't open my legs for anyone now. Wow. Wow. And then she had something really, really sweet to to say on the, any comments to make the podcast better. And um, both of those things really, really touched me. Thank you. I'm with stupid still, uh, shares an awful moment. It was my second week in the psych ward. New patients were arriving that day. We all sat in the common room playing games, reading books or eating. The new arrivals shuffled in, heads low, just as I was on my first day. I started a conversation with a younger man who seemed to have everything going for him at the time. It seemed odd to me that he was there. I know now that just because you seem like you have everything going for you doesn't necessarily mean you do. We talked for a while, I asked him about his life and what brought him there, and at the end of our conversation he thanked me for speaking with a warm smile on his face. As I got up to walk away, he said he thought I was one of the nicest persons who worked there. I laughed and looked down at my bare feet. I said to him, smirking, there's one thing you should know about this place, if you don't have shoes on, then you probably don't work here. We both laughed a sort of that makes sense moment. Thank you for that. D snacks shares about uh, having BPD um, he writes and by the way, huge myth that only women have uh borderline personality disorder uh, or as it's now called in the DSM uh, emotional dysregulation. Um, He writes a snapshot from his life. Sitting home alone. Kids gone to school. Wife gone to work. And I have the house to myself. I want to be alone. But I hate being alone. I feel so empty. But by all rational standards, everything is fine. But I don't feel fine. I want to be around other people. But I've pushed them all away. Thank you for that. So descriptive. Savannah. Um, shares a struggle in a sentence about being a sex crime victim. Uh, Porn preferences when the abuse was ongoing, soft consensual porn. When the abuse stopped, non-consensual, almost rapey porn. I hope that you are not shaming yourself for it. And understand that that is the brain's way of coping. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Frown, and you frown alone. Um and I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from it. She is straight in her 40s raised in a totally chaotic environment um was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. And uh she writes when I turned 42 I finally found the courage to recount the incidents I remembered. Um By the time I was 10, I was sexually abused by at least four to five family members and one babysitter. I remember the day I told my mother and grandmother that Uncle D was, quote, touching me down there. My mother looked through me like I was glass. Zero response. Zero. Zombie zero. Absolute silence. Grandma's response was worse. That's just how he gets when he drinks. Conversation over. Never to be discussed again. And so it went year after year. (sighs) Almost every person that I've ever talked to that had a similar experience when speaking up say that that trauma was worse than the original trauma to them. More painful. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I think about sex a lot. Like a lot with women, with female friends, with strange women I see. I've never been with uh, a woman, willingly anyway, hurting my ex uh, while we were together, not just hurting, harming, stabbing him, smothering him till he shut the fuck up, lighting him on fire as he sat on that fucking lazy boy like a throne, condescending to the entire world around him, but mostly me. Wishing my ex's mother would just die already. Wishing my mother would die in a horrible, painful death alone. Exposing all the family secrets I keep to the world. Not just the world, but every member of my family. Darkest secrets. Uh, Deep, dark, disgusting. Just this last month, I have... Spent an entire Saturday and Sunday doing nothing but watching porn and picking at my face relentlessly. Spent another Saturday and Sunday shopping online, spending money I don't have on shit I don't need, like 10 to 12 hours a day. Last week I received over 15 shipments from Nordstrom's. Uh, I hurt my own daughter. I've lied. I've stolen. I've hurt people I love with my actions. I've wished suffering on others that have something I want. I manipulate to get my way. Um, You uh, have not done anything that any other human being would not do given the fucking horror you were raised in. It's amazing that that the things that you listed isn't a hundred times more than what you have here. You are not a bad person. You are lovable and you're hurting. Of course you're hurting. My God, this hurts to read. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, to be with a woman, one-on-one or in a threesome with a man that I can dominate, punish, and use. I want to inflict pain and watch pain be inflicted. Choking, smothering, verbally punish, slap, spank. Uh Sharing it makes me feel a little nauseous and my hands are sweating. There's a knot in my stomach and a tightness in my throat. I feel disgusting and perverse and broken. You are not disgusting. You are not perverse. And you are not broken. You are a human being who has been through trauma, and there are millions of us just like you, just like you, and you're not alone. How do you feel after writing these things down? Uh, like I need a nap, a joint, a drink, and a new handbag all at the same time. That is fantastic. Maybe there's a bar. Maybe there's an Irish Jamaican bar that, that'll do that where they, they sell purses and joints and, uh, and Guinness. I don't know what it'd be called. Percy McRostas? Oh, I'm hating myself. Good one, Paul. Oh, I fucking hate that. This is an awful moment filled out by <laughs> performing ingrown toenail surgery with my mother's hatred. I don't even know what that means, but I love it. Uh, he writes, and and I've, I'm only reading part of this, uh, but he's uh, $1, $100,000 in debt uh, for student loans. And He writes, I'm 44 years old, uh, suffer from ADHD, major depression, OCD, anxiety, Uh, I like to write, but haven't finished jack shit. I'm newly divorced, and due to terrible financial problems, I've been forced to move in with my mother, who lives in a single wide trailer. I'm not putting down trailers, but still, it's a single wide trailer. I'm not being critical, but come on, it's a single wide trailer on cinder blocks in an actual honest-to-God trailer park. My life really is a country song. Although I have a graduate degree in English, my current job is taking my psychotropic medication, working part-time as a clerk at a local grocery store's pharmacy and being mom's bitch. A few days ago, mom, in the early stages of Alzheimer's, asked me for the fifth time in 10 minutes if I worked later that day. I repeated, yes, I go in at 11 o'clock. She asked, can you pick me up some off-brand hemorrhoid wipes? My butthole feels like hamburger. I said, yes, and then a few minutes later, she asks, hey, do you work today? answer yes and she again asks for the hemorrhoid pads. Again, I told her I'd get them. Later in the morning, as I was getting ready to leave the trailer, mom was watching TV and she said, I'm glad you're home, doodad. She's always called me doodad. I felt like crying. My life is all to shit in many, many ways, but at least my nutty mother loves me and gives me shelter. Thanks, mom, I said. She smiled and said, hey, do you work today? I need you to bring me my hemorrhoid pads and whatever, and whatever will burn off nipple hair. I've tried plucking them, but they keep coming back like dandelions. I left the trailer laughing because what else could I do? That might be one of my favorites. That might be one of my favorites ever. Um. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Biz Co- Cocho, Biz Coco. And uh, she writes about her bulimia. As soon as I hear the words in my head, we could do it, you know. My bulimia possesses me and I turn into an animal with no morals. Um, and my thought was when I read that was, no, you're a human being who's hurting who just happens to be picking up a primitive tool to cope. Snapshot from her life. I have many times purposely failed an exam because I have too much anxiety about doing well. If I fail on purpose, when I get my grade, I'll know that it is not a true representation of my intelligence. If I actually try, there's a risk I will fail and I wouldn't be able to handle that. I'm protecting myself from the pain of seeing how stupid I really am. The way I navigate my life with anxiety makes everyone around me look at me like I'm crazy. Sending you some love. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by Glenn Ree, lives on in our hearts and souls. And uh, she writes, It would be quick. Just a little bit of pain, and then it's all over. I would never fail again. I would never disappoint again. No more uncontrolled anger. I'd never have to roll out of bed to face the work week again. I could just be gone. That's what my brain screams at me as I drive next to the mountainside, or as I cross the street, or when my brother's gun is left out on the table. It would be so quick. One instant, and I'm free of pain. But I'd also be free of all the beauty in the world. I would never again buy a Christmas tree while drinking hot chocolate. I would never know how The Walking Dead ends. I'd miss the flowers blooming in the springtime and my nephew's first words. I'd be free of pain, anger, and sadness forever, but I'd also be free of joy, love, friendship, the holiday season, my favorite TV shows, music, the sunshine, laughter, traveling the world. I'd be free of life, and with all things considered, I think I want to live it. I can't thank you enough for that. I can't thank all of you for your surveys enough. Uh somebody asked the question, uh, do you read all the surveys? Uh I, I cannot. I do not because I can't I can't keep up. And it's a nice problem to have because when we first started doing the shows, um there there weren't uh, enough surveys. Um so uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna resist apologizing for not reading your survey, cause there's nothing I can do. I'm only one person. You're a human being. You're resilient. You'll get over it. If you don't, at least you won't tell me about it, and you'll resent me in silence, staring out the window with an afghan over your legs like Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I've lost control. Thank you guys for all your support, for the nice emails you send me. I I cannot begin to explain how much love I get back from doing this podcast. Sometimes it just, it brings tears to my eyes because I feel so lucky. And, um, whatever you're going through, just know that you're not alone. You're so not alone. You may feel it, but you're not. You're not. And if you're willing to ask for help, open up to somebody, somebody who understands, not somebody who's going to minimize it and tell you to suck it up. Avoid those people, at least when it comes to talking about emotional and mental stuff but find somebody and open up and it can change your life in a way that will blow your mind and the authentic you that has been hiding filled with fear and anger uh, will begin to emerge and you will be amazed Um, I hope you do that I hope you're nice to yourself on this treacherous four weeks between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas slash Hanukkah. And, and uh, yeah, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know weird bizarrely way. beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely
1: beautifully fucked up in some weird way.